0: Own us, who you are, through your Son Jesus, and I pray that you do it again, Lord. I ask that right now that you would open our minds, that we would um, be just moved to hear um, who Jesus is from your Word, that you would just give us clarity and uh, give my words clarity as well as we um, as we look to your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. hearing a noise. Is it our fire alarm? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's outside. <laughs> These walls are paper thin, they're 22 inches thick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anyway, sorry, i was distracted by the beat. Like, alarm, um, yeah, yeah. It's not Carl's pager. All righty. <laughs> That's a good thing. Okay. Well, this morning, um, I just want to start off with a quick review of what we saw last week. Okay. So last week, uh, we were looking at the gospel of John chapter one, and we were talking about how the word became flesh. God's word or God's son became a man and dwelled in our midst. His name was Jesus. And when Jesus became a man, it's really important to remember that he did not stop being equal with God the Father. Okay? He became what he was not while remaining what he was. This is addition, not subtraction. Jesus didn't become less equal with God when he became a man. All right? he added a human nature and a human body, but all the while he remained divine. And so we believe as Christians that Jesus was and is forever both God and man. Now, before I move on to our topic today, I really, I wish I had emphasized this more last week. I want to emphasize that this is not just our position as New Creation Church, okay? This isn't the Baptist position, only. This, in fact, is the teaching of the church of Jesus and has been for almost 2,000 years now, okay? Like, we might not all express the truth the same way, and we might have very big differences, but all major branches of Christianity agree with this, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. The Roman Catholics, for all their errors and our disagreements with them, they believe this, The Eastern Orthodox Church in Russia, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church, they believe this. All the mainline Protestant denominations that splintered off of the Catholic Church 500 years ago, the Lutherans, okay, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Anglicans, the Methodists, and countless dozens, hundreds more believe this. And the reason... That they believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man is because it is so clear in the Bible now there is a group today that's very um, well known because they've probably been to your door um, they were at Richard's door this last week um, the Jehovah's Witnesses they go around and the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses is that Jesus was a man created by God okay and this, this goes back they would actually even call him a god, but he was created by God. And this goes back 1,700 years, okay, 1,700 years, to a man named Arius. Arius said the exact same thing, okay? Now, there's a lot of other things that the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, like Jesus actually didn't rise bodily. Um, he he didn't have a body when he rose from the dead, which we think is is... Totally wrong according to the Bible, all right? And there's there's many other things. Arius didn't teach that, but that key doctrine of Arianism that Jesus was not equal with the Father, it, this is nothing new. It's been around a long time. And and yet you need to know that the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, they worship a different God than we do. We believe one God, three persons. We believe that's a mystery. Okay? We, in other words, we can't quite wrap our minds on, around how it works, but we believe it because it's clear in the Bible. Now, tragically, in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, the New World Translation, they have done a lot of um, tampering with the text. Now, they'll say that we are the ones who've tampered with the text, okay? Um, which is a complete lie for anyone who knows anything about Greek or Hebrew, which, and I'm not a Greek scholar, okay, but I've had seven semesters of Greek, and it's very easy to read and say, whoa, what are they doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're not translating. They're looking at anywhere where it looks like Jesus seems to be God, and they're saying, boy, we got to fix that, and they're fixing, they're, 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 they're changing the word. They're, they're fixing it, Okay, this is really sad. And if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness in your house, which I have, and you know this, this lady was here a few months ago and at our house, and it's like, whenever you point it out, they say, oh, or you bring out the Greek, well, smarter people than us. They, they just always appear. Well, smarter Jehovah's Witnesses could, if they were here, say, you're wrong. Well, actually, no. Bring the smartest one in the country, and we'll have a conversation. I don't care. I'm not a scholar, and so I'm not saying, "Wow, my Greek skills." All I'm saying is, when you read the Greek text, it's 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 sad. But guess what? Even if you use their Bible, okay, there are hundreds of places, literally, where they've missed. All right, you can go from the Old Testament and show, especially in the Old Testament, that the Messiah Jesus was divine. This is so clear. That is why the church for 2,000 years has fought about a lot of things that aren't clear, and they have had some fights about this one. But for the most part, the vast majority of Christians believe Jesus is fully God, fully man. All false teachings over the course of time tend to arise from our human inability to live with mystery. That's hard for me to understand, so I don't want to believe. it, And so I'll change the Bible, or I'll disbelieve the Bible, because it just doesn't fit in my rational categories. And we must not do that. No matter how much we struggle, we must understand fully God, fully man. And so... That's one heresy. Another heresy, though, doesn't deny the deity of Jesus. They deny the humanity of Jesus. We don't see this quite as much today. Um, but 1,000 years, 1,500 years ago, there was people that were saying that Jesus wasn't really a man. He only seemed to be a man. Um, so he was faking it when he died on the cross. All right? He only seemed to die. He, his pretend humanity died um, which means he only seemed to rise from the dead, he didn't really rise from the dead. And you can see the problems that this starts to create, right? Of Jesus is faking it on the cross. Like, no. And, and so some false teachings do that. Others have, have mushed together Jesus's two natures, fully God, fully man. They've mushed it together so he's like 50-50. Part God, part man. Um, sometimes he's in God mode. Sometimes he's in man mode. When you're reading the gospels, it's like he's this almost like a schizophrenic. Like now he's thinking like God. Now he's thinking like man. He's only partial, but we don't believe that either. We believe the Bible clearly shows 100% God, 100% man. And we're going to talk a lot more about that last week and next week, how When he became a man, he chose not to exercise or use parts of his divine nature, his divine personhood, that would render him not beyond human. Okay? So if you're like, huh? Next week, we'll talk about that. This week, what we're talking about is that Jesus really was a man. He really was a man. So this is one of the more simple Sermons in the sermon series I'm just going to go through now nine passages in the New Testament where we see Jesus was really a man he really was a person I'm going to start it off though by reading Hebrews 2:17. you don't have to go there I'm just going to read this verse to kind of set the, the stage. therefore he Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect his brothers would be. People, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That means Jesus had to become like us so that he could be a perfect priest, a perfect go-between between God and us, that he could represent God to us and represent us before God. We needed a go-between, and Jesus is the go-between because he's fully God and fully man. And we needed somebody to make propitiation, a sacrifice, to, to pay for our sins. And Jesus did that. So we're, we'll end by talking a lot about that. So he had the, the main point there, though, that I want you to see is that he had to be made like us in every respect. So the first thing we see that shows us Jesus as a human is that he was born. Obvious, right? He was conceived, and he was born. He passed through a woman's birth canal. Silas was a C-section, so I've seen this three times, not four. All right? Very painful. Very, um, nothing glorious about it. And yet, at the same time, it is amazing. As new life comes into the world, and you're like, how did they not get stuck? God made it that way. It's incredible. And God is was not ashamed to send Jesus into the world that way. He designed it. Jesus shared in our flesh and blood. He actually grew inside his mother, Mary. Almost 1,700 years ago, we talked about church history some, right? Right around the time of that guy named Arius, there was a guy in the early church, named Gregory of Nazianzus. And he explained why Jesus becoming a man is so significant. I've read a lot of Gregory's stuff. It's good when you can get past some of the old writing. (laughs) He said, um, he said, well, I'll, well, let me back up. He's writing, one of the reasons he's writing, he's writing against a group of people who said Jesus wasn't really a full man. This group of people, they believed back in that time that uh, Jesus was basically a human body with God's mind stuffed into it. So he didn't have a, a human mind. He had like, you know, he's just a body being animated by a, a divine mind, not a fully human mind. And, and Gregory is saying Jesus had to have a fully human mind because human minds need to be saved. So that's what he's saying. So he writes, this is his words. He says, For that which he, Jesus, has not assumed, he has not healed. For that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. In other words, the things that Jesus hasn't taken on, He's not able to save. To heal humans completely, Jesus had to become a complete human. And so, Christians believe that Jesus became a complete man. And he lived a perfect life as a complete man. And he died a sacrificial death as a complete man. And he defeated death by rising as a complete man. Body, soul, mind, the whole package. Jesus became a man to give forgiveness and resurrection, hope, and an example to follow to complete humans like you and I. Jesus, fully man. Second, so he was born a full man, not a partial man. The body of Jesus didn't come out of Mary, and God's like, okay, now I'm going to send divine mind into it. No, no, he's, he's, he's a human. He's a we'll look more at some of those things in a minute. But the, the second thing to see is that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. Simple fact, Luke 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Without going into detail, that shows Jesus had a human body. Okay? It could be cut, not just on the cross. But as a baby, and of course, his circumcision marked him as part of the people of Israel. That was the covenant sign, the sign of a people that were supposed to be in relationship with God. But boy, it was a pretty messed up relationship. And that's what part of what Jesus came to fix, right? So Jesus had a nation, a nationality. Jesus was Jewish. He had a family, King David's family, by adoption, as the prophets had said. Joseph was in the line of King David. The third thing, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. This one's so important. Luke 2, verse 52. You could turn there if you'd like. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That means that Jesus wasn't born having lots of wisdom. Okay? He was a baby. Some extra-biblical writings, that means outside of our Bible, sometimes have stories of like little kid Jesus like healing people or, you know, having superpowers. That isn't part of the Bible's picture of Jesus. He wasn't like this super baby. No, he was a baby. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. No, I bet he cried, you know, Uh, maybe not, Holly says, right after babies are born, after that first scream, then they are really quiet, so maybe he was, you know, she's right, they they are, maybe he was really quiet that first silent night, but uh, I guarantee you, Mary and Joseph did not have silent nights every night after that first silent night, okay, if you've been a parent, you know what I mean, all right, how do babies communicate, they cry, (laughs) I want food. I pooped myself. Like Jesus was a baby, okay? A real baby, and he grew in wisdom. How? How did Jesus grow in wisdom? He learned wisdom by immersing himself in God's Word. Until the point we read when Jesus was 12 years old, he was at the temple, and He was amazing, the religious leaders of the day, at the questions he was asking, and not just the questions, but the answers that he was giving. He's 12 years old, and these rabbis who had long-flowing gray beards, they'd been reading the Torah, they had the Torah memorized, they knew God's Word by heart, and he's blowing their minds. This 12-year-old, why? Because Jesus was like the man of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. Jesus meditated on God's word day and night as a boy, okay? How does he get this wisdom? How is he wise beyond his years? How can we be wise beyond our years? Listen to God. That's the point. And the more wisdom Jesus displayed, the more he pleased his Father in heaven. And the more he experienced the favor of his Father in heaven. Until one day, when Jesus is baptized, heaven opens. The Spirit comes down, identifying Jesus as God's anointed king, and the Father speaks from heaven. And you see all three persons of the Trinity, three persons, not different modes of persons, you know, one person in different modes. No, they're all persons in relationship here. Father speaks, Spirit comes down, Jesus baptized, Father, Son, Spirit. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. But the father is pleased with the son jesus's growth in wisdom shows us that he really was a, tr- a human being he needed to become wise and he became wise by listening to the word of god and by obeying his father's will i want you to know this this is the exact opposite of what adam the first adam in the garden of eden did okay the first human being he looked at the fruit That God said was the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had forbidden it. You don't learn knowledge of good and evil yet by by eating that fruit. That's a shortcut. You learn it by obeying my word. Knowledge of good and evil is not a bad thing, okay? It's actually part of wisdom. If you look, okay, in the book of Proverbs, which is like the wisdom literature, knowledge of good and evil is a good thing. Like, don't you want your kids to know good and evil? Well, Adam and Eve are like kids. And God wants them to learn good and evil from Him by obeying His word. Well, they see that this shortcut was desirable for obtaining wisdom in Genesis 3, verse 6. And so they broke God's word in an effort to become wise. But instead of becoming wise, they became fools. But not Jesus, He didn't listen to Satan's temptations when he went into the wilderness and was tempted to break God's word. He always obeyed his father's word, all right? And so the apostle Paul can say in Colossians 2 verse 3, he can say that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to see wisdom? Look at Jesus's life. He is wisdom in action. Everything he does is wise because he is filled with God's word. Everything he does is by the book. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That was Jesus' life. Like Jesus, none of us are born filled with the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I sure wasn't, although when I was 16, I thought I was filled with all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. My parents let me know that I wasn't. And every other adult I knew, right, Carl? Carl. But as we grow, we must learn to live life wisely. And according to the Bible, there's really only two ways to live. God's way or the wrong way, which is any other way. Jesus learned God's way by meditating on God's word. We can learn it that way as well. That's why Jesus says in Matthew at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he says, if anyone hears my words and does them, He'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains come and the, rains, the winds blow, the house, your life, stands firm. Why? Because it's built on a rock. But The foolish man builds his life on sand, and the house collapses. Fourth, in the Gospels, the fourth thing we see that shows us that Jesus is human is he cries. I don't know where we ever got this idea that crying is a sign of weakness. In fact, when someone doesn't cry about something truly tragic, like my wife died, eh, it shows that something's wrong. Maybe you're crying, at least you're crying on the inside. If you're not like crying on the inside, or even maybe you can't, tears just aren't coming, but you're weeping inside, broken, um, it, it is right to, it is human to weep over things that are truly sad. And I think our, our fear of crying, it has to do with the fact that crying can make us feel out of control. We'd rather be in control. Um, but the truth is, when we cry about what's really sad, it shows that we're in touch with reality. To cry is a truly human thing to do in the face of tragedy. We weren't meant to die. In the Garden of Eden, we were meant to live forever. Death is horrible. And it is fitting to weep in the presence of death. In John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus is surrounded by friends that are weeping because their brother, their friend, has died. His name's Lazarus. And even though Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still weeps. John 11, 35, Jesus wept. Why? This isn't the way the world's supposed to be. Jesus made the world. Jesus looks at the world that his Father and he have made, and he says, it's ruined by death. I'm going I'm to fix it by going to the cross, by raising all the dead one day. But in the meantime, Jesus weeps. Another place is Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 41. Luke 19, 41. Jesus looks at his beloved city, Jerusalem, and he weeps because he knows they're going to reject him as king. He's weeping over hard-heartedness, over sin. You ever looked at someone and you can't change their heart and you just want to cry because their heart's hard and they won't change? Death is tragic and sin is tragic, and Jesus weeps at both. And so Jesus cries over sad things, and we should too, until the day Jesus returns and keeps his promise to make all things new and wipe all tears away. It's not unmanly to cry, all right? A better question might be, uh, are you tough enough not to care that people see your tears? All right? Why do we care that people see us crying over sad things? Well, it's because we're afraid of what they think about us. It's fear. The bold man weeps unashamedly, and that's Jesus. Let's be like him. I know Christmas is hard for a lot of us, okay? We miss people. We grieve broken homes and shattered dreams, and it is okay to cry, and it's good to cry even. Know that Jesus cries as well. And because of Jesus, we can cry in hope. We can weep in hope because one day he promises no more tears. He started Operation No More Tears when he rose from the dead. And he's going to come again, and it will be done. All right? But in the meantime, we, we can weep. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is fully human. He cries. The next three things I just want to move through quick. Fifth, Matthew 4, verse 2, Jesus experiences real hunger. He's been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, and it simply says he's hungry. Yeah. I fast for three days, and I'm starving, okay? Jesus fasts for 40 days. There are humans who have done this. I know one of them, okay? Okay. It's very hard to do. But what it shows us is that Jesus had a real body, like you and I. And his truly human body needed food. And even after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus ate food. So that's the sixth thing I want to point out that proves the humanity of Jesus this morning. Um, So fifth, he got hungry. Sixth, even after the resurrection, we see he eats food. Luke 24, 36 to 42. I'll just read those. Verses, if you want, you can turn there. This is this is a huge passage for the humanity and the physical body of Jesus, even after he dies. Okay, and rises from the dead. Luke twenty four thirty six to forty two. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, "Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself." touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He has a body, a physical body. He really rose. The physical resurrection is true. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Why? To prove it's still him. God left the scars. Why? To show that it's really Jesus. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. A ghost does not eat food, a spirit does not eat food. He truly was human before and after his resurrection. And he also needed water. Jesus got thirsty. That's the seventh proof. When Jesus is hanging on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 28, he says, I thirst. He's been whipped, lost a ton of blood. He's thirsty. The one who offered the Samaritan woman living water at the well in John chapter 4, he's in need of water as he hangs bleeding on the cross. Jesus also needed rest. That's an eighth thing. That I want us to see about the humanity of our Lord. John four verse six, we read these words. Jesus was tired as he was from Jesus, sorry, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. You ever walked for a really long time and you're just tired, and you just want to sit down? Jesus was tired from walking. He needed rest. Like you and I, Jesus couldn't keep going on forever. Matthew 8, verse 24, we read another time when Jesus was tired. He's healed many people, cast out demons, doing the work of the Lord. And he's going across the lake in a boat with his disciples, and he's sleeping in the middle of a storm. And many of you may remember how that story ends with the disciples waking Jesus up and him calming the storm. But Jesus needed rest. And so do we. It is not an unhuman thing to need rest. We must fight to get rest because we were not made to be like God the Father, who neither slumbers nor sleeps. On the seventh day, he rested from his work of creation. He rested from his work of making the world, but he did not rest from his work of upholding the universe by the word of his power. The Father does not rest, but the Son who has a human body does, and so we need rest. Not just rest for our bodies, but rest for our souls, which Jesus promises to give. He says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest rest from trying to make yourself be better in god's sight jesus gives you forgiveness rest from feeling shame and guilty all the time jesus gives you forgiveness and on and on we could go jesus gives rest for our souls the ninth thing final thing i want to point out that shows us the humanity of our lord is the simple fact that jesus died John 19.30, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus didn't just swoon, pass out, and revive later in the tomb, as some people thought or think, staggering out. I'm alive! <laughs> like, <laughs> barely moving after being crucified. I rose from the dead, believe in me! Oh, yeah. no, the swoon theory does not hold water. It's not what would lead the disciples to go run out and preach the gospel of the resurrection and die for Jesus. No, Jesus really died. He took the worst thing that could happen to all of us, and he experienced it. For all of us, life will be ripped from our grasp, no matter how hard we try to hold on to it, no matter how many of the best doctors we see, if Jesus does not return soon, each one of us will die. And we don't know when. It is human to go through death, but it's not the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus went through that for us. And Jesus didn't go to his death calm and passive with some sort of inhuman coldness to what was happening to him. Like, bring it on, I can take it, I'm God. No. Listen to Jesus' words before his crucifixion. Mark 14. These are the words of a man who's about to get the worst punishment ever invented by man. Crucifixion. Now that is debatable, but... Most people, you know the word excruciating? That comes from cruc, excruciating, crucifixion. Okay? It was horrible. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knows he's going to the cross and his emotions are overwhelming. He even pleads with the Father to take away the cup of suffering if possible. Though Jesus is resigned to do his Father's will no matter what, he didn't want to go to the cross. He did not want to die. He was a man. He didn't want to endure the absolutely excruciating pain and death and the mocking and the shame and the rejection from all his friends. Jesus wasn't looking forward to that. It was agony. And he was in agony in the garden, groaning, sweating, drops of blood. He was under that much pressure. He wasn't looking forward to it, but he did it. He went to the cross As a man. A full human. Why? Because there was no other way for him to save the world. And there was no other way for him to obey his father. Jesus had to become a man and die as a man and rise again as a man to accomplish salvation for men. And so, I want to conclude our time together with four reasons. These are theological reasons why Jesus being a man matters for our salvation according to the Bible. So, why did Jesus have to fully become a man? Well, we kind of talked about it at the beginning, um, but Jesus had to become a fully man because only a true human could replace Adam as the faithful and just human king of the earth that we so desperately need. Adam, he was the first of God's creation, the first human, and his wife Eve, they messed things up terribly. They were created by God to rule creation in a way that brought life, made life flourish. That was to be Adam's glory and honor. To be a king in God's service. But Adam decided that the snake's words sounded better than God's words. He listened to the snake. And the snake took over the rule of the world. That's why Paul can say, The God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Satan is the God of this world. John says that we know that the whole power of this world, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Who is that? Satan. Why does Satan have power? Because Adam gave it to him. He said, Oh, your words sound good here. You take over. And Satan said, Okay. Death for everybody, curse what happens when you rebel against God and Satan wanted that that was his plan to turn humanity against its creator to hurt the image of God because Satan hates God so he wants to see every image of God dead and in its suffering and then comes Jesus the perfect image of God the true human And he came to defeat Satan, to do and be everything that Adam failed to do and be. And not just Adam, but every human since Adam. That's really what the Old Testament, that first three quarters of the Bible, is all about. It's just this train wreck showing how humans desperately need this coming Adam, this last Savior, Jesus. And finally he comes. Jesus To live the life we could never live. He is the perfect human who alone is qualified to be our perfect king, both now and forever. So, why does Jesus need to be fully human first? Because we need another Adam to rule over us. And Jesus is the perfect one. Second, only a perfect and completely human son of Adam could die in the place of rebellious sons of Adam. Jesus had to become a perfect human to suffer the death penalty that we deserve as guilty sons of Adam. Only a son of Adam can take the place of sons of Adam. And so Jesus came and died the death that we deserved to die. The death that everyone who trusts in him won't have to face. The death that physical death only pictures. Physical death, for all its horror, is a picture. What happens in death? You are cut off from your life breath. Your body is separated from the breath that animates you. What happens in spiritual death? You, soul and body, are cut off from the life of God, from the Spirit of God forever. By choice, I don't want your words, God. The words that gave me life, they're optional. No, they're not optional. Jesus came to take the punishment of separation from God that we deserve. He went through physical death and the separation from God for us so that we don't have to face that if we trust him. He had to be human to do that. The death he took was for us. Third, Only a perfect human could provide a perfect example of the truly human life that Adam should have lived and failed to live. So Jesus shows us how to be truly human. He, because he was fully a man, he shows us how to live life to the full under the rule and reign of God. He knows what it's like to be in pain And yet still trust the Lord. He knows what it's like to submit to God's will when everything in you is saying, no, take it away. He knows what it is to be tempted to disobey God and yet remain faithful. We can't say as humans, well, it's easy for Jesus to do. He was God. No, it wasn't easy. Look at him in the garden. The sweat was real. He wasn't faking it. Not my will, but yours be done. He's faithful to the end. He knows what it's like to be tired, to be hungry, to be weak, to be sad. He knows the full range of human experience. He knows anger. Evil made Jesus furious. Jesus wasn't just this long-haired hippie in some of the pictures that we see, just, oh, I'm so nice. I'm always healing people. No, in the temple, when he's confronted with the, False religion of the Pharisees and their corruption. He flips over tables and drives out the cattle out of God's house with a whip. This is the son of God in anger. Anger at evil. Full range of human emotion, and yet he can show compassion to those who no one wants to touch. The lepers, the prostitutes, widows, orphans. His heart's constantly moved to compassion for broken and sinful people like you and like me. So he is the perfect Adam, a model for a new kind of humanity that God is making for those making us into. Do you want to know how to live your life? Follow Jesus. Fourth and finally, because the Son of God became a complete human being, his bodily resurrection from the grave as a complete human gives us hope for what God has in store for us. We too, our bodies will rise if we trust in the Lord Jesus, just like his. The afterlife, we are not going to be little angels floating around, strumming harps or whatever image of heaven that you might have. Heaven is not this floaty place where we just drift around and sing songs all day. No. There will be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And we will reign with Jesus in life forever. Heaven will be a world of love. Death, sin, evil, darkness will be gone. Jesus rose with a body to show us what our hope is. And he has a body. We're gonna, that's going to be our um, uh, Christmas Eve service theme is that there is a son of Adam on the throne of the universe right now. Jesus. And he has a body. One of us is ruling the world. That's amazing. And it's our, it's our only hope. Jesus is the only hope for us defeating death. He, no other human, has gone beyond the grave to the darkness, which we don't know what is back there, except for him. He came back. and He said, I'll tell you what's beyond the grave. Resurrection for anyone who trusts me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. And I pray that we as New Creation Church would trust him in hope of resurrection. I thank you for becoming fully man for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. And as we talked about at the beginning, Lord, I pray for the Jehovah's Witnesses in this area, we see them at Subway a lot on Sundays. I know some of their names. Lord, open their eyes. Please. May they bow their knee to the deity of their Father, we long for that. May their zeal, going door to door, come under the reign of the true King. And we pray this in the name of our risen King, the Lord Jesus. Amen.